What is up, you beautiful people? Welcome back to the Built on Bitcoin podcast, where we cover all the cool stuff happening across Bitcoin, typically talking directly to the founders and builders actually creating that cool stuff. I'm your host, Jacob Brown, and today we're talking about lightning. I know, it's crazy. I think I'm like 122 episodes into the show, and I've maybe had two, maybe three episodes on lightning, which is pretty wild. Uh, at least talking to founders. I've done update videos plenty, So really excited about this one. I had to get Jesse on the podcast to talk about what he's building over at Amboss. So today I have Jesse Schrader on the podcast, which is the CEO and co-founder of Amboss. You can check it out at amboss.space. If you're a Lightning node runner, it probably goes without saying. You're probably using it to get some actionable data on your Lightning node. And that's what they do. They're a data analytics tool. They also have a channel marketplace. And they're building some other really cool stuff for Lightning Node operators. Because running one currently is very complex. And you need actionable data to know how to run your node efficiently and route efficiently. So that's a little bit about what they do. And in this conversation with Jesse, we talk about his background, what he did before Bitcoin, it's kind of origin story and like the pain points that they were initially trying to solve for when they started building out Amboss. We talk about the current state of Lightning, kind of no BS, you know, what's going well, is excited about. Yeah, things coming down the pipeline. We talk about things like BTC capacity as a metric. So, you know, we hear this a lot, hash rate number go up. But most people don't understand that hash rate doesn't mean the network is more secure. There's other functions of that number that are important for network security. And so I was curious about his take on this BTC capacity number and if that's the best metric. TLDR, it's not. You got to listen to hear his response. So we cover a ton. This is a great episode to kind of get into the weeds about some of the nuances of Lightning. And uh, I learned a ton. So without further ado, let's jump right into this episode with Jesse Schrader. CEO of Amboss. Welcome to Built on Bitcoin. Jesse, how are you doing there, my man? Doing great. How are you? I am fantastic. Very excited to have you on. I um not sure how well you know this podcast, but I started as a Stacks podcast and uh, expanded to Bitcoin broadly. But one of the topics, for some reason, I haven't covered enough is Lightning for whatever reason. And so very excited to have you on to kind of talk about Lightning, talk about Amboss, and uh, and being a Bitcoin founder. You know, that's one that doesn't get talked about enough, kind of like crypto gets all the love, all the BC money is going to that side of the pond. And not enough goes and talks about the Bitcoin side. So, ton to discuss. Um, Certainly. But maybe just to start off, for people who don't know you, just a brief background of, uh, of yourself. Sure. Yeah, so uh, my background is environmental engineering. And let's see, I got really excited about Bitcoin in 2017 and uh, wanted to, to buy some gifts for, for my family and ended up paying really high transaction fees. Um, and that pushed me into into Lightning, um, where, yeah, I was uh, early hobbyist uh, in in 2018 and 
2019, kind of figuring out the technology and, uh, yeah, breaking things uh, upon occasion and uh, and providing feedback. So really, uh, I I come to it as as a user. Uh, you know, before before I really got into Bitcoin, I you know had had jobs doing uh, answering questions about class action lawsuits in like a call center scenario, and most of those were against banks. Um, so it was really deeply understanding and empathizing with some of the problems where like you can't really control uh, the policies that a, a bank may implement, um, but that affects you as, as a person. Um, so I didn't, I didn't like to see those, those policies being implemented and I was looking for an alternative. Um, and I didn't find one until Bitcoin. Um, and then that really pushed me down the rabbit hole. Uh, Andreas Hansenopoulos was, was a big guide on uh, understanding the technology and also some of the opportunities like Lighting Network um, to kind of show a path forward. And, and of course, uh, Saifedean, uh, was very helpful at understanding uh, the the time preference element of things, which was just a great framework of you know how the world should should develop. Yeah, so it sounds like the um, so your initial entry point or fascination with Bitcoin was on the kind of like not freedom tech, but like being able to solve some of the problems that you saw in your everyday life with your kind of like web to ish job with like uh, abuse of the financial system. Yeah. I mean, this was, uh, definitely like traditional, traditional type job working in a call center. Um, but, uh, but just understanding, um, some of the, some of the issues, um, like, I mean, I studied environmental engineering cause I, I wanted to like one use like technical approaches to solve real human problems. Um, and a lot of those are, you know, natural systems. Um, so like, how do you, how do you arrange technology? Um, and, and what do you need to understand from like a, you know, a confusing mess of operations and actually be able to solve uh, a human problem. Um, so, so I, I definitely like take an engineering approach to a lot of the things I encounter. We're gonna dance around in this in this conversation, so I'll take hard left turns. Apologies, but uh, you mentioned that you wanted to gift them to people for I think you said Christmas, and I'm I'm curious how back then were you doing that like tactically? Because I try to do that too, where I'll like I'll owe someone dinner, and I'll pay it back on Cash App through Bitcoin, and I'm like I know they're just gonna sell it, and sometimes they'll be like, Hey man, can you just send me cash? Like please, I don't want I don't want to do with this thing. But it's like my way of like, come on, please, like slowly orange fill. So when you're when you're giving these gifts, like, how'd you do it? Can you, can you put places time wise? But like, were you buying a cold card? Were you just like setting up a key phrase and writing a note and then like saying like, here's a thing? Like, how are you doing it? Uh, interesting. Um, yeah, my actual like buying gifts with Bitcoin was was making actual purchases, and so like the the purchases themselves were um, like. That was like buying Bitcoin on Coinbase and then sending it uh, like, let's see, I withdrew to like Electrum and then uh, actually tried to send it over uh, to Overstock.com, which 
And overstock.com had like a 15 minute window um, with which to actually get the tra the transaction confirmed. Um, and 15 minutes wasn't enough time to even get the first confirmation. Um, and this was in late 2017 for Christmas. Um, and so the, the fee market was insane. So it was about $60 to make a Bitcoin, an on-chain Bitcoin transaction. And I was having to pay next block fee rates in order to get that transaction confirmed within that 15 minute window. Um, so that was a really rough UI for actually making uh, purchases. Um, so one, you need that transaction finality, uh, which kind of brings me to, to lightning, um, but, but also just there's uncertainty on you know, when, when a mining event is actually gonna happen. Um, kind of to your other question about gifting Bitcoin, uh, the way that I've done that so far is to, you know, create two copies of a seed phrase, um, and just hand them the seed phrase and then keep one as a backup that is just like, uh, all, all locked up. Um, just so, because like more often than not, than not, they're going to lose it. Like that's. That's the reality, the unfortunate reality. I want to be able to trust that someone can write down a shopping list, um, which like is not the hard part. I think the hard part is actually keeping it forever, um, keeping it secret, keep it safe. Um, so that's that's one one rough piece of actually gifting Bitcoin. Um, but uh, if someone's savvy, open dimes are like phenomenal gifts. Uh, I think like the true Bitcoiners really, really love those, the, the real tech geeks. Um, but for most people, you could just write down words and you could say, this is Bitcoin. Um, and you can put this, uh, you can memorize it. You could put this on your phone and you can access this wealth uh, wherever you are in the world. Writing it down twice is, is smart. You, you have to be the trusted custodian for your friends because they're going to mess it up. Uh so yeah, you don't want to have that put a hundred bucks into it, have it appreciate like crazy, and they're like, "What was the twelfth word again?" That's it's like I got spilled coffee on it. So it's good to have a backup. Um, you mentioned something though, so like starting to starting away into lightning. Um, I want to get to kind of a roundabout way, and one of the big ones that's interesting is that in the traditional marketplace, this idea of finality, people don't really understand it. So like. The current system is something like I swipe my card and then there's kind of an approval process where the merchant takes on some of the risk or someone else does. And it could take a few days to a few weeks for it to be final, quote unquote. And Bitcoin is not like that. And I guess the first question is I can't, it's kind of like seed phrases. There's a lot of responsibility in it where I'm not sure if most people are ready for seed phrases. And when it comes to instant finality, I wonder if, is there... Is there risk there too where the benefits are, you know, the merchant is done, it's immediate, you can have assurances. But on the other side, is it things like chargebacks, these kind of things? Like, are we, I don't hear that side talked about enough of like what we lose with instant finality. So what, what's your take on that? Finality is a bit of a double-edged sword um, in that respect because uh, one thing that we lose is an ability to do refunds really well. Um, so I've made a purchase. I don't really like it. Um, 
or I want to return it. So how do I undo that transaction? And there's there's really no undoing with Bitcoin. It's it's either in your custody or it isn't. Um, simply by the way that we like kind of encrypt Bitcoin to a new destination. Um, so when I'm talking about things like that, it's uh, it's uh, like on the on-chain front. Um, so I'm I'm proving that I have the key, and then I'm like encrypting it to a new destination, um, which is which is pretty cool. But um, when it comes to like refunds, that means you're going to have to make a separate transaction. So now the recipient, the original recipient of the money, is going to have to um, make a new transaction back to you. Um, which, for the most part, like in these early stages, like is not is not an issue. Um, but a lot of it will come down to like what will be your your corporate reputation. Um, are you going to be uh, one that someone that stands behind your products? And if someone isn't happy, you know, you'll you'll return you'll return the money. Do you think? So then, kind of through that lens, do you think that consumer behavior moves towards put more, do more due diligence on the merchant? Like, who do I trust? Or I could see another one being smaller value items that, like, if it goes to the nth degree nuclear, I don't get my money back, it's okay, it was just coffee, versus, like, I'm buying a car on Bitcoin. And the risk there is, like, that calculus, um, like how do you see those dynamics playing out in the market? If you had to, if you had to guesstimate, yeah. Uh, one concept is like cash on delivery. So uh, you've made the good, you've delivered it, and now I will pay you. Um, and so that is, you know, more consumer friendly. Um, like I've I've certified that I'm happy with the with the product. Um, so so that would be one approach. The the other would be more merchant friendly. It's uh, you pay, and then then I'll deliver it to you, um, and then you'll receive it later. Kind of a hybrid approach is one that we're applying with Magma, our Lightning Marketplace, which is a a non custodial escrow of sorts. Um, so it it helps ensure that uh, like there are certain obligations that a provider uh, must fulfill you know, when they're going to sell you a lightning channel. Um, and so once we have verified it, like as a, as a neutral third party in this, um, then the, then the payment can be processed. So, so like we have an ability to, uh, kind of like halt a payment going through and, and like, so we're putting our trust wrapper on that. So we're like, we're putting our brand forward to say, uh, we'll provide this um, this service, which will ensure that you get the goods that that you deserved and that that you initiated payment for. Uh, but the the settlement the actual payment hasn't happened um, until you actually get everything that you requested. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, the cash delivery also that, that's that's clear. Okay. Um, Cool. Then I want to start. I want to start making our way towards Amboss. I'm curious how, uh, like, you've been you've been in Bitcoin for a while, and you were pretty early to Lightning. What was the what was the first pain point that you were like really solving back then when you started to build out Amboss? 
Um, one, like we had to learn a bit what the what the pain points were, but a couple of things that we ran into, like dealing with the command line interface, um, that's intimidating for a lot of people, and you need you need a nice user interface with with clicky buttons uh, that that you can navigate and and understand this. And the second is one that I've learned is inherent to decentralized systems, which is discovery. So uh, how do I know who to connect to? And now that there are so many possible options, like I need to make the right decision here um, and, and find the best people to connect to because each of those connections costs money. Uh, so, so like if you can imagine that you're using LinkedIn, like the professional networking site, and each of the connections that you make is going to cost $10. So if that's the case, uh, you're going to want to do research on like uh, who these connections are. Like, are, are they worth my time? Uh, like, like what's in their resume? Like, who are they connected to? Um, before I actually even want to invest in making that connection. Got it. So it gives you gives you more data, and and you've seen this. I've seen the decentralization piece is really hard to solve, and it manifests even in like uh, news aggregation, where it's like it's hard to know what's going on across Bitcoin, even though there's only really like maybe six or seven pockets of uh, of like verticals. There's like L1, but that might have DLCs, and then you have Lightning, and then you have Arc, and then you have all the other layers. And I try at this podcast to like aggregate as much as I can, but it's so hard. And that's just trying to stay up on like the news in one small sphere, which is Bitcoin. Um, so when it comes to this, when you say discovery, what is if I'm a Lightning? I guess it's a, if I'm a Lightning node operator, right? What is what is the things I'm trying to like? look out for or like what what am i getting from your tool that's helping me run a better node yeah uh one piece is like in this decentralized market or decentralized network there is a market um and like the market is kind of well how much are people charging to actual actually route a payment um from from place to place it's like uh take our entire transportation network and replace everything with toll roads. Um, so how do you get from point A to point B and and spend the least? Uh, so one, you have to have a bit of an understanding of like, well, what, do, what are my own financial flows? Like, what do I actually spend my money on? Um, and then how how can I optimize the like the actual payment network around me um, to actually fit fit my own budgetary flows, um, so it's kind of like you you get to kind of create the own your own toll road network around yourself. And if someone else wants to use your infrastructure, um, then you get to be the one charging uh, the tolls for for using your channels. Um, if you want to like drive a payment along uh, my my road. Uh, then, then you can pay me uh, a toll, uh, but but one piece is like what is the median fee rate that uh, people route payments at, and you know for 
for Visa and MasterCard, it's going to be like 3% or more. I think for Stripe, it's probably going to be like 4%, um, especially for small dollar payments. Whereas for Lightning Network, it's 0.03% um, is like the median fee that, that is being charged. So it's, you know, it's a hundred times cheaper than any of those traditional payment alternatives. So th that's just like one, one market element that is, uh, that needs to be figured out for this de decentralized market. Um, and like on, on discovery, uh, one of the discovery pieces is like who is actually connected to the destinations. Sometimes it doesn't make sense for me to connect directly. Um, maybe I want to access a whole community of people. So I want to pay to the, a community in El Salvador. Well, do I have to connect to all of the individuals in El Salvador? Like probably no. I, I, I could connect to just one, one hub, which is able to make the connections that I would want. Got it. That's, that's actually super helpful because I'm trying to grok some of these Bitcoin ideas. It's difficult. And for Lightning, that the one I've heard the most when it comes to how payments settle is like a bar tab analogy. And this toll road one is actually really helpful for understanding routing at some high level. Um, but it does make me think, so is this why people have concerns around centralization, which is that the nodes, like River, for example, they're really good at having all the best toll roads for a low enough price that you just connect to river and then you get access to you know most of whatever the connections need to be that solve the most merchants it's like still an open question of like how this whole thing is going to evolve but right now there's a bit over 18,000 public nodes on the network and over 70,000 channels you know between them so like just river themselves like they don't have 18,000 channels. Um, so they're not connected to every single node on the network, um, nor would they want to. Uh, so like even at this like tiny scale of lightning, you know, before, before it really starts picking up on the enterprise adoption phase, um, it's already phenomenally complex. Um, and like there, there's a question about how much trust are we going to put in this financial system in a single financial institution? Um, do we want more local control of money? And like, my feeling is that like, yes, like I want to trust fewer people um, and don't want to have these like gargantuan systemic risks to the financial system. Like the, the too big to fail idea for a bank um, is like what we're trying to, what we're trying to avoid. So I want to see more people running, run, running their own node and making their own sovereign decisions about like who, who do they want to connect to um, and, and how to construct this network. When we have more people that engage with this idea, that means that the network becomes more complex and you will have more difficult decisions to make about who to connect to. And so like that's one way that Amboss can win is just helping to simplify very complex decision-making because one centralized entity is not going to be able to make all of the connections all over the world uh, for, for a multitude of reasons. 
Got it. Uh, on the enterprise question, so this this is going to show my ignorance in how Lightning works, but like if Walmart, for example, wants to allow people to pay, pay with Lightning, can they, because you said that the current fee rate is like 0.03, which is super low, um, especially compared to the tr traditional markets, uh, like you save so much money. So is there anything stopping Walmart from allowing Bitcoin at their terminals and say they charge 1%? And so there's still a benefit for, I'm assuming, other node operators to connect to Walmart, but they still get a decent chunk of that revenue. Like, is that, given the construction of Lightning, is that one scenario that could play out? Is that if you have enough pull, a Walmart can demand that and you can choose to pay with Bitcoin or not? Yeah, so uh, when when making a decision about like who to connect to, um, you're going to have to pay an on-chain uh, fee to open the channel and another on-chain fee in the future to close the channel. And so the actual routing node operators can set the fee of like how much it's going to cost to route to this destination. And so when they're doing um, this like decision making, they're going to have to make like a cash flow guess about this um to to think okay like how much is gonna flow to walmart and how can i set my fees competitively so like my route will be chosen and also uh like be able to recover my on-chain costs you know with the channel open and the channel close um which is not that difficult of like a math problem like you could definitely figure it out. Um, and there's just like back of the envelope calculations. Uh, but one one thing that really changes uh, changes the calculus in the favor of like really low cost settlement is that Walmart may actually make Bitcoin payments to other like manufacturers or suppliers. And so that means that the payment direction, it will actually flow both directions instead of just in a single direction. If it's a single direction, like there's only so much money that I can capture, like as it flows from one point to the other, and then the channel is like no good anymore. But if Walmart starts like kind of a domino effect of a circular economy, then there's no reason that this infrastructure ever needs to change because the payments will just flow back and forth and back and forth, and I'll be able to recoup uh, my on-chain expenditures like without issue. Um, and so like, that's the, that's the real dream is that you have a circular economy on the lightning network and, and you have channels set up in really efficient ways, um, to actually route payments and essentially bring the cost of commerce to zero. And like Walmart could charge their own fee if they wanted and just like capture the arbitrage as we replace these antiquated settlement methods. Uh, with with ones that don't involve you know chargeback risk and uh, actually are more private for consumers. Got it. That's that's fascinating. Okay, I want to take uh, one step up. I'm curious because you're so close in the Lightning environment. What's your pulse on the current state of Lightning? Kind of like what's what's going well, what's working. What's BS? What's on the horizon? Like, what what are you saying? What are you bullish on? What are you bearish on right now? Um, let's see. 
the the Lightning Network has gone through um, quite a bit this year. Um, but what I find overall is that the ecosystem is extremely high signal. Um, there's as far as like real solutions to scams, um, we're we're extremely heavily weighted on the real solution side. Um, that we're looking at uh, on and off ramps. Uh, the ecosystem is, is building out. Um, still an open question on like how the regulatory environment is going to going to shape up. Um, but then uh, on protocol development, it's uh, it's really solid. I'm like very excited about Taproot assets, um, and because I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with Bitcoin's volatility. Um, and also, like, where can I, where can I buy things with Bitcoin if, uh, if I'm holding Bitcoin? So, like, I I tried to pitch Lightning to my local sandwich shop the other day, and I really got um, I got a whole laundry list of issues that he's concerned about that hadn't even crossed my mind that uh, he ru- runs such a, um such like a tight cash flow operation that he needs to resupply. And so if he's going to accept Bitcoin, he needs to be able to spend Bitcoin to actually buy the products. Um, it's like super small, super small margin. Um, and he needs like every penny that he can collect. Um, so, but but he, like the only reason I brought it up to him because he was like, cash is king. Uh, he had like signs everywhere. He's like, I don't want to have to charge you an additional 4% on your purchase. But that is what payment cards are necessitating. Um, that I have to charge, I have to charge you more. Otherwise I'm losing, you know, $15,000, $20,000 a year just to uh, these, uh, the payment method. Um, on things that I'm like, bullish on is people making smarter decisions about their their channels um and like who they're connecting to and also how to run a sustainable node because and the reason that i'm really bullish on that is because we had a massive challenge this year which was all of the competition for bitcoin transactions uh ordinals inscriptions like created just like it wreaked havoc um, on like some of the economic decision making that uh, Lightning Node operators are are making. Um, like if they're planning on charging zero fees, um, like it's a gift to the network, but then have a risk that like their channel could close, and they could pay an extremely high fee just to close out the channel, then. Their the risk calculations are off. Um, how, do, like, is this a good use of my savings if I'm if I'm putting this at risk uh, due to a forced closure, like when there's so much competition for like ordinal subscriptions? I went a little bit deep there, so. No, you you <laughs> you had covered a lot. It's actually this is actually a really interesting one because um, I like the thesis of Bitcoin L twos. But part of me is very hesitant that they're going to get any traction until L1 is sufficiently unusable, I would say, where it's just expensive. Mm-hmm. It's still pretty It's still pretty cheaply priced if I'm trying to send even 100 bucks on Bitcoin. Like, it's not that bad. Um, Lightning has its efficiencies, but, like, there's a, there's a different calculus there. Like, is it, do I really have to do that, or can I just send this regular transaction? Um, 
And so that was really eye-opening seeing ordinals go crazy and start to stress test some of the current limitations of the lightning implementation. So what is what is being worked like how are people responding to that? Is it is it just a calculation of your financials to see is it worth my time or is there things being built to make this more efficient? Is I see AI seems like a natural play for channel efficiency. Like what's what are people thinking about right now? What's coming down the pipeline? Um one thing is like at the like whenever there's a challenge to Bitcoin or to the Lightning Network, there's a really like kind of an antibody response um, and to like fix this issue. Uh, so one thing is we've seen a lot more attention from the protocol developers on figuring out why there are force closes, force closes, and like what to do about it. Um, where that wasn't a problem in the past, like now now it is a real financial problem. Uh, the other is just leveling up uh, the operator's knowledge um, to to make better decisions. And as far as like Amboss is concerned, you know, we're very focused on uh, from from the network level. How can we deliver insights to to people on uh, how to make better decisions and and do so in a in a sustainable way, so that they can uh, continue operating a, a revolutionary payment network that like long tail will, will be far more efficient um, regardless of like what is happening on chain. Um, so with, with more stability for channels um, that we're seeing from the protocol, um, more use cases that we would see with Taproot assets, uh, more adoption that we would see when uh, the fees become lower. Um, th those are all you know, reasons to, to be excited um, with just, just naming a few of the things um, that are coming down the the pipeline. Uh, of course, there's there's also like Fedi and Cashew, which are like focusing more on the more on the privacy side and and Charming Mints. Um, so that would open up a whole uh, slew of like new use cases. Um, but uh, but yeah, the ecosystem is rapidly rapidly maturing. There's a lot to be excited about. Love it, love it. Okay, so for for what you guys do. Um... You mentioned a couple things, the discovery piece and this Magma marketplace. Uh, what else do you guys offer or what's coming down the pipeline, like kind of those two buckets? Yeah, so we've been running our Magma marketplace since uh, April of last year, and we've seen just over 120 Bitcoin actually settled in channels, um, and that brings about to 2,500 channels. We're getting very close to that number and that's that's exciting for us um because what magma does is actually sets up a market for like what is the value of liquidity um and what is the market pricing and that's going to change uh, regardless of what the um like it the the market will change based on the cost of on-chain transactions so whatever happens with ordinals and inscriptions or other uses of the bitcoin blockchain we'll actually see the market develop for for Lightning itself, um, and with that comes the value of liquidity. So, uh, a couple of months ago, we began publishing what we called our Liner metric, which is the the Lightning Network rate, and that shows both the costs of buying liquidity on a regular basis, which is around three percent, um, and uh, 
and also what is the type of yield that or return on capital that uh, a Bitcoin holder could earn by selling lightning channels or leasing lightning channels. I'll just say sell because it's it's easier, much more understandable. But yeah, I'll sell you a lightning channel for a month and you can pay $10 for that and you'll have like guaranteed low cost settlement to, uh, from, from my entire network. Uh, so your customers will be able to enjoy that. Uh, what's next for us, now that we've had this Magma Marketplace, we found that we actually have like quite a bit of Bitcoin that people are willing to offer for Lightning Channels. But what's missing is really the automation on the merchant side. So what we found is that Magma is buyer constrained. Um, so with with limited demand for buying channels, like the amount of yield that you can get is actually uh, it's not going to be that high because uh, there's lots of providers out there that are willing to do this. Um, but if you're running a lightning business, you need to be focusing on selling your products, not on troubleshooting your payment system. Um, it like even if you have like a 10 minute delay from your like Visa card going down or like your card processor going down, um, that means lost business. Uh, so if you're futzing about with with that, like it's not a good use of your time when you should be out there uh, making and selling products. Um, so really, our focus is uh, or our, our, our next focus is really reducing the amount of time that it requires to manage channels and to manage a lightning node. Um, because you should be able to receive payments reliably from anywhere in the world at very low cost. Um, and so we're constructing the user experience to enable that. Do you think there's, on a long enough time horizon, I mean, I, I think I know the answer, but is does it get to a place where all of this is mostly automated? Like for Stripe, you're trusting one company, but like anybody can just take payment for anything. Shop and Shopify too. Like I could spin up a storefront for nothing, and immediately start selling things. So it it sounds like there's still a big burden to manage this, especially as you scale. Um, do you, do you see that changing on a five ten year time horizon where it's just like you you might go to Amboss and you guys have a one size fits all kind of like API or something that just like solves. 80% of a small business's issues? Yeah. And unfortunately, the answer is it it depends. Um, and really what it depends on is what are people willing to share and what do they want to keep private? Um, because what I have when I run my own node is I have complete control over it. Um, I have the private key and that allows me to make all of this the decisions about uh, how this piece of hardware and software operates. Um, when I want to go more automated, that may mean that I'm giving up control to to someone else. So I'm I'm delegating things. Um, now, another way is like if I want to get insights about something. What we're seeing in a recent trend is people are handing away their view only macaroons. So that means like someone that has the view only macaroon can see every single thing that is happening in your node. And and people are handing this away just to get additional insights about how to run their lightning node. Now we've taken 
a different path, uh, which requires less data and gives you uh, a little bit more incremental control over what is the actual data that you're sharing versus like what are you keeping private to yourself. So we've uh, we announced like a, a feature about a year ago, which was channel balance sharing. So I can communicate to to Amboss, or I can even choose to make it completely public. Like what is the actual balance of my channels? And if you hand over your view only macaroons, not only are you giving that information, but you're giving everything about like your payments, your invoices, all of it. And so you you should closely guard that if you believe that like surveillance is a concern and you think that privacy is paramount. So we can deliver like incredible tools to end users and to node operators. But the real question is, are they going to just uh, make a decision that privacy doesn't matter and we end up in like a Venmo type situation where like all of my payments are not only shared with a huge corporation, but also shared publicly? Uh, which like it boggles my mind that people would share that amount of payment information um, when all of this is like all of those, that payment information is ripe for uh, machine learning meta analysis. Um, so and like like what's currently happening with traditional payments is like I swipe my Chase card and like it's like Chase is going to sell the information to an advertiser to sell me more relevant ads that's the that's the business model there um but like for for us like if you give us uh additional information we'll provide the highest quality of service that we possibly can given the limited amount of information that you have and and we've enabled features so you can have fine-grained control over what you share and what you don't um if you decide to share more like we will be able to provide a higher quality of service um but if you choose to keep that private, um, we won't be able to. It, it's like a like your your doctor's entire um, like diagnosis of you is like based on a picture of you. Um, like we'll we'll be back in like COVID doctor visits days where, you know, it's like uh, yeah, I'll I'll show you something. Can you look into my eye? Like, do I have something in there? And <laughs> then they're just gonna say like, come into the doctor's office because like we actually need to take a closer look. It's just not as effective as a diagnostic tool if, if you don't share some level of data. Um, but then, like, what we're left with, if you don't share anything, is, one, a ton of guesswork um, and, like, also very difficult UI. Like, you have to be a an expert. Um, and I think the reality of this is, like, people are not going to be payments experts. Um, this is a very select few of people that care deeply about how how money works and how payments operate makes no that makes a lot of sense uh quick quick note for context what's a macaroon i heard you drop that word a couple times a macaroon is uh kind of like a permission set and the the macaroons are like also getting better um so like maybe i could say this this macaroon allows you to access my node during these hours and can make and can sign transactions that are uh, like this size of of Bitcoin. So like you're allowed to like if if it's super fine grains, be like, okay, you're an account manager 
um, and or like you're an accountant, and you, so you'll be able to view all of my transactions. Um, but uh, for for someone like maybe like just operations, and maybe they just need to know like what's the general node balance? Do I have enough liquidity to continue to receive payments? Um, and they don't need to see every single transaction. They just need to know that thing that the thing is functional and that it's meeting their service level. Got it. Like a uh, great name for something that doesn't sound anything like a macaroon. Um, Ma- macaron is the <laughs> cookie. <laughs> it, 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 remi- it reminds me of my Android days when I was like flashing my ROM like every week and it was like Eclair and, you know, Frosty. Like all the ROM names were like delicious things. And it's just like, okay, I'm supposed to be changing my phone software. Now I'm hungry. This is this is getting weird. Same with macaroon. Uh, okay, a cu- couple more questions. I want to start to bring this to a close. Um, one I'd love to get some more clarity on is people look at, at certain metrics and they think that they're good because they go up. Hash rate would be one, which is like, you know, it's you have to look at it bracketed by the cost of electricity to really know the cost of like producing that hash and how secure the network is. Number go up on hash rate is not necessarily mean more security. And I've heard it's the same with BTC capacity on the Lightning Network. So I'm curious if that's, is that true, where it's like the number go up is good, or if we are more efficient, there's a local media that might be lower than what is today, but we're actually doing more payments. So is that is that correct? No. I really don't like capacity as a metric for Lightning Network success. I would look at... Uh, lightning nodes and public lightning nodes as kind of a metric of success. That means people are taking self-custody um, and the, uh, that's provides long-term sustainability for the, for the network. What we saw recently is capacity of the lightning network fell off a cliff um, because um, it was primarily because River was doing channel maintenance um, and they actually closed a lot of channels that were no longer functional. Uh, because they they had payments only in one direction, and all of the liquidity was used up. And so, uh, when when like you're searching for a route to make a payment, um, like a lot of those channels, like you couldn't actually make a payment through those anymore. They were essentially dead. Uh, so so River closed those old channels, and that that's like a great thing for maintenance of the network and having higher payment success uh, for for this network. And that like payment success rate would be uh, a much better metric uh, when we're competing against, you know, Visa MasterCard with 99.99% reliability. Whereas, you know, Lightning Network may only be at like 60%. Um, and we would want to see that much higher. But capacity itself, it can go down and that will be a good thing. That means payment success will likely go up. Um, it doesn't mean that River is afraid of lightning or thinks it's a dead technology. In fact, they're investing far more resources into it because it's such an important technology for the future. Got it. I like that payment success rate. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, last, I think last question I have, kind of moving into the VC space, because that's where I work when I'm not hosting this podcast and talking to great people like you. And for people that don't know, there's been hundreds of millions deployed into crypto every year. 
um, and that includes Bitcoin. But if you bracket it, Bitcoin gets like, I think it's less than 5% of VC money goes into Bitcoin-focused startups. And that's you can, you can make a lot of assumptions there, like token speculation, whatever. But it does, it does imply that there's a smaller pool to raise from, potentially, as a Bitcoin-focused founder. It's just harder to raise, potentially. And from what I've seen, there's some proof to that. But you raised a pretty big round. So I'm curious, what was your experience going out, attracting money from VCs, and raising as a Bitcoin-focused company? Um, it was difficult, and primarily because understanding this technology is almost a prerequisite for being able to understand the scale of the opportunity here. Um, so a big struggle for us was finding the right comparable. So like what other company is like disrupting global payments and doing that with a straight face? There's not very many seed stage companies that have that type of ambitious vision. So like, what can I compare it to? And so for us working on data analytics, uh, what we did was look at like automotive industry and look at healthcare. Those are industries where you have very expensive decisions. And I think long-term, uh, Bitcoin will be an, an industry where you will have to make expensive decisions and that will be an on-chain transaction. Um, there will be a lot of competition for, uh, for Bitcoin. And so that means one, you have complex decision-making and you need data analytics to support it. Um, and those are expensive decisions. So that starts to support a data analytics industry. And so I looked at what is the data analytics industry that supports automotive? What's the data analytics industry that supports healthcare? And what fraction of the overall market cap do those data analytics industries uh, represent? And what I saw is generally it's about a quarter of a percent. Um, so when we're looking at the types of payments in the world that are going to be disrupted by Bitcoin payments, uh, remittances is obvious. So this is $580 billion that is transacted every single year um, through remittance providers. Uh, already, that's a massive industry. Um, we only want a quarter of a percent of that. And that already represents a multi-million, if not billion dollar industry right there. Um, now, when you're looking at global digital payments, this is a $9 trillion every single year that, that are made. I see uh, Lightning as like an obvious solution to this. Uh, we have a lot of things to build there, but the technology is sound. Um, the, the finality, the, the, um, we've essentially removed the ability to, to have trust um, with, with our peers, and it's uh, very resistant to like systemic risk. Um, and I don't see that with any of the other alternatives. So uh, w when I'm like presenting that, Okay, this is this is a bold vision, um, and that for the VCs that can understand that and grok that and see that that Bitcoin is stable, uh, relatively unchanging, and then Lightning is the real rocket fuel to help it disrupt payments, then it starts to make a lot more sense to uh, VC partners. Got it. That's that's very interesting. Yeah, because there's a for kind of founders listening, if they haven't fundraised yet, you're. It's always hard to talk to VCs because if it's too easy to understand, they either assume like the market's too small or someone's already done it. 
And if you go too far into like the willy nilly like pipe dream, that's exactly how it seems. Like it's too early. And so you're always threading this line. And so, yeah, I like your characterization because if you look at it as nine trillion in payments settled every year, even 1% of that being taken by Lightning is 900 million, which is still massive. So that's e that's an easy sell. Um, any advice for founders who haven't gone through this process yet and they want to fundraise that you would bestow on them? Um, let's see, Y Combinator is great, but they're not right on everything. Um, and get a network of founders that are willing to advise you to help you shortcut some of these things, find the right books to read. Um, and like what you have as a founder is like equity in your company. So you can actually grant that to um, advisors to help them, to help keep them incentivized, uh, even a, like a small portion of this to actually support you and, and be uh, help you shortcut a lot of things because like the scarcest resource that you have is, is your time as a founder to actually maintain all the operations, understand what's happening in the industry, in the market, and actually be able to make decisions and put out product. Um, because like we've been following a very like lean startup method methodology where like we have to ship in like a minimum viable product here, um, and show, that we have like the the traction and we have the momentum to create the billion dollar business that uh, we're planning to make. That's great. I love it. Um, cool. I don't have any more questions. This has been fantastic. Any any closing thoughts or things you want to kind of riff on before we close out? I think that's about it for me. Uh, just. Yeah, it's talking to you has, has been great. And uh, I would love for people to check out Ambus.Space. And uh, as we automate Magma, I'd love for people to try that out um, and start supporting this like decentralized operators that are making a whole payment system possible that has incredible potential to just improve people's lives. Um, kind of like what has been the theme of this past year is like inflation um, and like bringing down inflation. Um, but whenever there is inflation, like think about the payment system that is taking, you know, 3% of it. If your margins are super tight on all these products that you're selling and you're having difficulty making ends meet, just think about how much money is being wasted on an inefficient payment system um, that like that payment method is being baked into all of our prices um they're not showing you how much the merchant is having to pay for this uh they're just kind of abstracting that away and increasing the prices but you as a consumer don't have to pay that all the time you don't have to have that additional loss and we can move to a more efficient society uh, by improving the payment system I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's it's always shocking to me how few people, when I ask them, have actually used Lightning. It's just still that early. And when you use it, it's it's freaking magical. Like, it goes from your phone to, like, it's I, I see a balance on Stacker News in no time flat, and I can just go, like, zap things away. Um, so it's it's truly amazing. And 
the first step is trying lightning. So call to action to people like go out there, take a little sliver of your Bitcoin holdings. You still huddle the majority and go spend it somewhere. Just do something small with it. But then if you start running a node, you're probably going to be using Amboss for some of your stuff to keep yourself uh, in the best standing. So yeah, I'll drop all the dis all the links below so people can, can be in the loop when the time comes. But uh, man, Jesse, thank you so much for coming on. This has been fantastic. It's a real pleasure, Jacob. Thanks. Thank you for listening this far into the episode. If you found it enjoyable, please do like, subscribe on whatever platform that you're listening on. YouTube does me a huge favor to like and subscribe. Find me on Twitter at JakeBlockchain. Show me some love. I replied to every DM. And if you are a Bitcoin builder that is kind of at the forefront of building new use cases, whether it's L1, Lightning, Stacks, Rootstock, Rollups, Ordinals, BRC20, uh, I want to talk to you. So when I'm not doing this podcast, I am the sourcing partner at the Bitcoin Frontier Fund, where we invest in Bitcoin startups at the earliest stages, give you access to whatever you need, whether it's legal, product, fundraising help, as well as capital. So let me talk to you. You can hit me up again. Find me on Twitter at Jake Blockchain and uh, shoot me a DM. I'll, I'll read everything. Love to talk to you guys. All right, peace. Welcome to Built on Bitcoin. I know that things don't always go your way, but I'll be right.